I took a piss today with my pants around my knees. It was alright. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey meant for but few. Take my hand and we'll ramble with Reverend Campbell and Nine Sense's devilish crew. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you, and for all of you listening, I apologize that this is late. I've had an insane last week, and uh, I, quite frankly, was nowhere near my home in order to record this week's episode. So I appreciate your patience, and I'm going to try to give you something worth your time. Until next week. Though, I, I will have to say that this is going to be a kick-ass show. I have, at the tail end, in the creature feature, Psycho Charger. That's right, Jimmy Psycho. We're going to be talking about their new album, Spawn of the Psycho. And, uh, well, we'll leave that for a little later, but it's awesome. And let's see, um, yeah, we'll go backwards. In Infernal Informant, NFL sends mixed messages on domestic violence response. And Net Neutrality steps forward after Wheeler's proposal. And we're going to begin it with The Devil's Advocate, The Merits of Artificiality. This is an essay by Anton Zander LeVay from The Devil's Notebook. Uh, he takes it in a very specific direction. I'm going to go a little bit in a different direction with the same spirit, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, uh, so like I said, oh, yeah, quickly, before I dive into this, um, if you have questions for Unorthodoxy, which with, with, <laughs> it has been a very long week. If you have questions for which Zaftig for the very new segment, uh, <laughs> Unorthodoxy with which Zaftig, uh, shoot us an email, info at ninecentspodcast.com. We'll add it to the queue of questions. I've got a lot of really wonderful ones. And on the subject of questions, it is not too late. We're getting close, a couple weeks away, but it is not too late to submit your greater magic question. Now, I've got two very influential individuals, I'll say, who are going to be joining me for this greater magic episode, and it airs the week of Halloween. We're going to be talking about customizing and creating your own rituals. So we've covered the basics, we've talked about what-ifs, let's talk about about making it your own. So, send in your questions, info at 9centspodcast.com for your greater magic questions to be featured on a historic episode of 9 Cents, or submit your questions for which Zafdig's new segment and get uh, an academic perspective of whatever it is you want to talk about. All right. So, uh, dog's still missing. That's right, Minnie is not home yet. It's fucking infuriating, and uh, I'm, I'm really fucking angry. I I don't want to talk about it. Um, I just got back from a really long... I, I'm going to say job, but it's really a bunch of jobs. So, I 
Thursday last week, I had to attend this concert in order to film it. Friday, I had to film two real estate photos. I'm sorry, um, video shoots. And Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I had to travel down south and uh, film this new real estate development. Um, sort of a, a brand video for this development. And it's nice because, one, it makes, obviously, it, it pays my bills and it tells me that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm needed and I'm of value to the company, which is always nice. But it takes me away from the family and it means I have to deal with horrible, stupid people. So, so Thursday, it was girls aged 5 to 13 screaming and losing their minds at this concert. It was... It, okay, well, there was two types of people there. There were... <laughs> this was told to me and I thought it was funny, so I'm going to own it. Uh, there's girls and then there's boys who will learn that they are actually girls. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know one of those Disney teeny bopper shows. I don't really want to drop any names because I don't know if I could potentially... I don't know, get in any trouble for it or not, but it was annoying. It was stupid. I really did not enjoy any of it, and it got to the point where, um, so I'm I'm sort of the art director slash director slash producer of these projects, so I have a camera team, a crew with me, and I'm setting up the shots, I'm telling them where to go, and they're sort of executing, adding their own spice and flavor as necessary uh, in the in the shots and angles and stuff like that. And so he, he had this glide cam, and he was uh, sort of running the gauntlet between the front of the stage and the front line of insane little girl fans. And I've been through mosh pits, I've been to hardcore shows, I've been to punk shows, and it was nothing like this. These... It, I'm surprised he made it out alive. Every single one of these little girls wants to be a reality TV star. They want to have their five minutes, and they thought that this glide cam, poor young man, was their 15 minutes. And they all reached at him, and they grabbed him, they're screaming as far as they can. They're like, ah, mom, so great, ah, ah. freaking out. <laughs> he does make it out alive, which I'm very happy for because I needed him later in the week. Um, but it was just terrible. I got whacked in the face by these girls stripping off their extra layers, like, you know, like an outer sweater and, like, jackets and stuff, and swinging them around. There's girls doing, like, they're on this cement, like, ledge, doing these dance sequences together. There's cougars that take these girls to these shows, eyeing us like we were pieces of meat. And in any other setting, it may have been appropriate, but in this setting, it was creepy and gross. And it, there was... There was men that I hope they were taking their daughters or their nieces or something, but I kind of think some of them were just on their own going to this, which was creepy. We had an Augustus Gloop lookalike charge us and ask if, this is going to be on TV? Can I be on TV? <laughs> like, no chocolate here, Augustus. Move on. It, it, it was a nightmare. And then... To chop, you know, to, to make it even worse, the <laughs> the talent that we had for the real estate series of videos that we were shooting literally the entire next day from sun up to sundown, because uh, we wanted to sort of catch the magic hour of both times. Um, <laughs> when we picked her out amongst all the other young women that we were looking for, 
uh, we were pairing up a father and a daughter for this sort of closing scene, uh, we looked for a girl that was, you know, pretty, you know, around seven or eight or something like that with nice, cute little hair. When this girl came out of the, when she came out of the van, she, she was like bald. Her head was shaved. And it was because she just did a cancer commercial recently, which, okay, my hat's off to her. She really bought into that role. But what the hell good is that going to do me in my in my scene, we picked you out because of your hair, and you don't have said hair. Don't you think maybe you should have told us? As someone at the agency should have said something? And so they brought a wig, which barely passed, I hope. I mean, we haven't gone into post-production of this yet. We just filmed it. And so that wasn't even the worst part of it. Like, trying... And it, Okay, here's here's one thing. I don't know how many of you have ever directed children. Like, if you have a child and you try to get them to do something. Um, trying to direct children on camera is damn near impossible for someone like me. And that's because I'm honest. So, traditionally in life... <laughs> little lesson here, people. Traditionally in life, it is not good to be honest. Because people don't like honesty. They call you an asshole if you are honest. Because it hurts their feelings. They don't like it. But I, I'm an artist. I am a creative individual. I appreciate honesty because it helps me get better at what I do. And so I sort of go through life with that philosophy. If you want to improve, you have to be able to take criticism. So I'm telling this girl what a poor job she's doing. And I'm, I'm saying it meaner now than I actually did it at the time. And here's the other thing. In a creative environment... Honesty is the only way to go through it. You cannot uh, prance around an opinion. You can't be diplomatic. You have to be blatant and you have to be honest. Otherwise, you're not going to get the product that you're paying for or that people are paying you for. You need honesty in creative work. You just absolutely have to. So you know when someone shouldn't be in this industry when they call you an asshole for being honest because they don't understand that that's absolutely to its core necessary. You have to be honest. Um, it's, a, it's just a tell. You'll, you'll, a little lesser magic uh, tell there. So I was telling her, you know, you need to stop walking like a mannequin. Your arms are not moving. They're like rigid, slightly bent hands, stiff at like you know, stretched fingers, and she's walking like a robot, and she has this fake smile on her face, and she's tilting her head, literally like a robot, like back and forth. Super crazy and weird. I don't even know why she's doing this. Her mom, Sadie the Painted Lady, back out of camera sight, out of frame, is screaming at her, walk like you normally do. And she's walking like this freaking robot. Like, a And I'm just like, look, look, all you want to do, in this scene, all you want to do is go outside, relaxed, have fun. You want to go play in the yard. Maybe there you have a puppy outside. Maybe you have a ball and a friend outside you're going to go play ball with. Whatever it is, you just want to run outside and have fun. You notice out of the corner of your eye, your father coming up the driveway. You get excited and you run to your father. That was it. That was all the direction. And she could not do it. She It was 
so creepy. She was had like this crazy, insane, like clown smile on her face as she walked out, and she tilted her head creepy back and forth like a robot, looking like I guess for a ball that wasn't really there. And then she like turned her head, looked at her father, lost the fake smile, got an even bigger toothy smile, and ran toward him like a fucking maniac. And these are like you know she she has zero talent. And here's the worst part. Her mom is in the background, yet again, saying, Good job, sweetie, you did great. No, she didn't do great! Why are you lying to her? Why are you encouraging shit behavior? Okay, I'm not saying you need to go up there and smack her aside the wig, but you do need to bring some honesty to the game. If you honestly want her to improve as an actress, you have to be honest with them. So I'm saying, that didn't work. You're looking too manufactured. You're looking too fake. I need you to be natural. So let's try to adjust the scene to fit that. What if you just, and, and we went through this whole long process, it ended up taking three or four times longer than it should have. We burnt so much more footage and time. It, just, it, it was so painful. I didn't think it could get worse, but oh yes, the gods, they hate me, apparently. Because we go down south and we rely on the developers to choose the family that's going to be in this hiking slash mountain biking montage. And... <laughs> One of the prerequisites of choosing said family was that they were active and they knew how to mount, mountain bike and they owned mountain bikes and mountain biking clothing and they knew how to hike and they owned camelbacks at the very least. Uh, hiking shoes would be better. And they're like, oh yes, oh yes, these guys are great, they're wonderful, they're, they, they have all that, they're avid, avid active family. So we're like, perfect. We get there and mom is great, dad is great, daughter is great, son is a fucking retarded slug slob disgusting degenerate human being this worthless child and i mean worthless when i say it could not walk up this little okay here's the deal when you hike you have to hike up a hill traditionally slash mountain but it's always a worn trail this actually had like steps made out of slab stone that they had to walk up. So it was literally like walking up the steps at your home, but outside. This kid couldn't do it without acting like he was tightroping across a 50-foot gap of, I don't know, the Grand Canyon or something. It was like, do, 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 walking up. And so we, I was looking at the camera guy, like, confused. Is this kid, like, handicapped in some way? Is there... Some reason he's walking crazy like this? He looks normal. He turns around to walk down because we want them to obviously shoot the scene again because it sucked. And he can't walk down without holding his mom or dad's hand. He's, act he's acting like he's a, I don't know, 112-year-old human being that would literally plunge to his death if they were trying to walk down a three-inch rise. But he was like testing it like he was testing water in a pool or something, whining the whole time, uh, uh, help me, until mom or dad got it, and we're both slack-jawed, just not believing anything that we're actually seeing. Like, how can a boy of 12 years old, who seems perfectly normal, who walked up to this hill, completely normal, talks normal, acts normal, has full range of motion, not be able to walk up, and then impossible to walk down a set of stairs because he's afraid he might fall. 
What the fuck? So I'm looking at his dad. Like, you've got to help me here. I have got a half an hour to get this scene, and we've lost our light. And we still have to hike up a fucking mountain to get a goddamn glorious sunset shot on the fucking mountainside. And your son can't even walk down a goddamn path. Help me. And he has what every parent has. A sudden realization of what a horrible kid he has. When you're living around something, you don't really notice it much. But when you see shit behavior in other men's eyes coming from your kid, it hits home. It hits right in the cojones. Just strangles your boys. And he immediately got this look like, I am a failed father. I have let my son play video games for 12 years and not even know how to walk down a goddamn set, set of stairs. Like, it's literally unbelievable. Like, there is nothing wrong with this kid except that he cannot walk up or down. It's so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was... The beginning to what ended up being an incredibly long, incredibly sweat-drenched... I mean, talk about sweating your balls off. I literally do not have balls. I left them on that mountain for those sunset shots. However, we did get some pretty amazing shots, uh, despite retarded boy. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, and to... Be <laughs> it gets worse. To make all that worse, I have a damn cold that <laughs> I inherited from my beautiful son. Thank you very much, boy. Uh, yeah, made it all the much better. Uh, anyway, so that's that's my life. Talent sucks. Video shoots suck. Kids just suck. Uh, it's just terrible. Um, I was going to go on this long rant about design and stuff, but maybe I'll just save that for another time. I don't really want to get into it now. And uh, <laughs> quite frankly, I want to go hang out with my family and not do this all night, so... Uh, let's go ahead and de dive into the uh, Devil's Advocate. In nomine de nostris, Thomas Luciferi Excelsi. In the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Alright, the merits of artificiality. And this is in The Devil's Notebook by Anton Xander LeVay. I'm going to read you the first one. I'm going to talk about it a little bit and then uh, kind of go off on my own tangent here. Man can be easily fooled. In fact, he's shown every indication that he must be fooled. He complains, It's a Barnum and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. Yet he won't have it any other way and seems to survive best under the most artificial conditions. So the spirit of this is that when something's real, you can be disappointed by what it ends up being, a product or a person or whatever. But if it's artificial and you know it's artificial, you imbue it with its own sense of worth. So it's impossible to be brought down because you're the one setting the expectation. So unless you are seriously mentally deficient, the expectation is to be met because you created it. Uh, it's re this article is really fantastic. He takes it into a, a artificial human companion angle, um, of which there are uh, amazing advancements. And even uh, the Church of Satan's own witch Marilyn Mansfield has some amazing creations along that line, which you should definitely check out. 
But um, he has this little line here which sent me on a bit of a different mental path as I was reading this article. I'm not antagonistic towards women to whom nature has been unkind in the looks department. I love them dearly. I eschew women who deliberately make themselves physically drab so they will be appreciated for their minds and not viewed as objects. They are as off-base as men who go overboard in their pursuit of seemingly masculine electives, believing that any sign of culture or sensitivity will mark them as pansies. A man can be very strong and resourceful and still be gentle and sensitive. A woman can be physically glamorous as well as physically capable and mentally advanced. It was this idea that against uh, the odds of stereotype, we are quite capable of just being honest about who and what we are rather than trying to stick to some social norm. And as a man, I definitely identify with this because you're not supposed to, uh, you're not supposed to like to dance where I come from. You're not supposed to, um, like to sing or you're not supposed to like to, uh, um, I don't know, insert stereotypical feminine behavior here. <laughs> when you're like me and you're raised by women and at five years old I'm doing footloose dance sequences with my sister because she wants to show her friends how great of a choreographer she is you quickly lose that sense of masculinity uh, with those girls brothers and such I'm sure that has a significant amount to do with me getting <laughs> fucking taunted and shit as a kid but what it did was inform me about um a women's way of mind what they want out of not only a masculine man but just a partner in general and what it means to not care about what the herd thinks and focus on what you care about um you know this idea of artificiality comes really close to home for me because I'm in advertising and I, one of you listeners was really great and you said this uh, really wonderful thing of, uh, uh, this is paraphrasing if you don't like corporations as much as you seem to XXX um, just trying to make a point uh, because I always rail on corporations when it comes to tax code and when it comes to uh, individual uh, representation um, but I actually love corporations. I, I adore corporations because they allow us the um, opportunity to have and do things that would be incredibly expensive if they didn't exist or non-existent altogether. They create industries that would not have existed otherwise. And that relates to this because it gives us a sense of artificiality. It creates things that aren't real, but allows us to reimagine ourselves through that artificial Label. So whether it's fashion and we're looking at clothes that have been out of style and not produced in years and then some uh, clothing company brings out this new, reinvented new line of old favorites, well, we suddenly get a place to go to pick up what we need. Um, it's the abusive corporations that I don't typically appreciate. But from a professional side, I adore corporations because they allow me... <laughs> a way of life uh, as an early uh, young man my stepfather told me you need to make a living out of what you know not what you do 
and I've taken it to heart and it's worked really well for me so far. So as a graphic designer, I move over into uh, visual arts with film uh, and video. I move over into sound design. I move over into everything because at the core of what I do is art. And uh, the difference between art and design is convincing people of a message. So I apply my art sensibilities to design in order to create an artificial idea that other people will attract to. Um, so for me personally and professionally, this essay really hits close to home because everything that I do, whenever you create a new brand, you're creating an artificial idea that strikes chords with existing powerful emotions and reactions within people. That's literally all there is to it. You're creating image and message playing off of each other to elicit a response, whether it's to cry, to grow uh, artificial care or love for a product. Think about that. For a thing, a non-existent, non-living entity. Look at iPhones for fuck's sake. People are emotionally attached to these things. It was all advertising. It was all design. It's all artificial. You put into it what you want out of it, and you're not disappointed. <coughs> Excuse me. So using this in your life, this, this idea of artificiality um, uh, having merit is wildly important for Lesser Magic. I mean, damn right necessary. You have to create the sense of desire, the artificial sense of what your target wants or needs, whether that's uh, an employment status or whether that's an affection status. You need to create what it is that they need and they will feed off of it and they won't be disappointed because they're the ones buying into it. They're the ones putting their emotional investment into it. So you have to literally just be the shell and allow them to fill you up with their own mind and they will buy into it. Check out, uh, definitely check out this essay, uh, the standard notebook. It is the merits of artificiality. And, uh, you know, let me know in, in the show notes or by email, how it, how it relates to your life or uh, how, how you've seen it in your life so far, and maybe how it's worked for you. Uh, it's a wonderful essay by, essay by Anton zander -Levay. You should definitely check it out, especially because he goes in a very different direction than I just went. Um, it's definitely worth the read. All right, let's go ahead and move into a little Infernal Informant. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, friends? Uh, Infernal Informant. Get on the truck. You out there. Hi, this is USA Today. NFL sends mixed messages on domestic violence response. This is by Eric Brady and Jim Corbett. Domestic violence controversy roiling the NFL and the nation made news on Twin Tracks Monday as the league announced the appointment of new senior advisors who will help shape its policies at the same time the Minnesota Vikings welcomed back running back and accused child abuser Adrian Peterson, who is not the only player to sit out Sunday and return Monday. The Carolina Panthers said defensive end Greg Hardy, who's also appealing a domestic violence conviction, would practice 
and attend team meetings this week, Through um, though the Panthers stopped short of saying whether Hardy would play this Sunday. And the San Francisco 49ers said they would not bend to public pressure in the case of defensive lineman Ray McDonald, who played in the 90, uh, 49ers <laughs> first two games after his August 31 arrest on suspicion of domestic violence. All of these developments came against the backdrop of a video released a week earlier that showed former Baltimore Ravens running back Ray Rice cold-cocking his future wife in a casino elevator. And so on a weekend when the NFL would have liked to wrap itself in the flag for the 200th anniversary of the National Anthem, the league found itself instead at the white-hot center of a morality play about how a workplace in the public eye should respond to cases of alleged domestic violence. The article goes on. I, <laughs> this is tough because I genuinely do not see any excuse. Uh, I, I don't, I cannot recon reconcile what it takes for you to tell your boy to go get a switch, uh, a stick, a, a thick stick, with the sole intent of beating him with it. And when he brings it back to you, you tell him you go into the punishment room and you beat him with the stick so much that flesh is removed, blood is showing. I love my kids, and so I could never, never fucking do that. Uh, coming from a place where my stepfather would throw me downstairs or throw me into the street trying to get me to fight him, a man two and a half times my size, three to four times my age. Um, <laughs> I know what it means to be the weak person in an abusive situation. Um, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't teach you anything but animosity, hate, and if it is long enough, it can erode your sense of self your confidence, and affect you mentally uh, for the rest of your life. Uh, it's abuse in all of its forms, um, mental, physical, sexual. It's always wrong, uh, and it does produce a cycle that, for most, is impossible to break. And so one abuser spawns a cycle, a sort of pyramid scheme of future abusers. Um, another reason why it is such a horrendous thing. So this um, gentleman who beat his child, uh, and, and it's not alleged, it's not accused, he admitted to it, he texted about it, there's photos, um, he did beat his son, uh, Adrian Peterson, but... Here's the question. This is what it all comes down to. Whether it's the physical abuse of uh, one's son, the physical abuse of one's future wife, um, etc. Does that affect their professional life? Does that warrant their profession from firing them? Does that put a stance of morality in their professional business employer Uh, employer's court 
to react. There's such outrage right now about the NFL. How dare you? You knew that he beat his wife. Why didn't you discipline him? Well, here's my question. Why is it the business owner's role to discipline him? We have a legal system out there. Allow that to punish the bad behavior. Here's the deal. I don't I don't justify and I don't accept abuse in any form. But if they're paying or have paid through our social contract, the legal system, for that abuse, and they are capable and professional in their professional lives, I don't see how it fucking matters. And I don't see why the NFL should. What type of a world do we live in when your perceived, through my eyes, negative actions allows me to let you go. If it has nothing to do with your professional life, you come to work, you do your job, you do what you're paid for, but in your professional, in your personal home, I should say, in your personal life, you do something that I don't approve of, why the, there's no grounds for firing in any job, in any case, and yet you see people being pushed to do so. They get their teams taken away from them, forced to sell. They get uh, kicked out or suspended from their professional life. Let's say you work at any garage in the country, at any fast food joint. Let's say you're homosexual and the owner doesn't like that. They don't approve of your personal behaviors because sodomy in their state is illegal. Do they have justification to fire you because you're homosexual and act in a homosexual way with your partner? No, they don't. Now, I am not equating, I want to make sure this is clear, um, homosexual behavior with abuse. They are completely different. What I am saying is one individual interpretation of morals being pushed on someone else's when it's the law that should be dealing with it. And I I probably shouldn't say homosexuality because there's so much stigma still attached to that. So <laughs> I'll just, I'm going to push that off to the side. Uh, I'm going to bring in Satanism. I'm a Satanist. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> I'm a Satanist, everyone. Um, I'm a proud Satanist. I don't hide it. I love what Satanism is. Because it's allowed me, in the face of ignorance, to realize who I am and take ownership of my life. And I have a goddamned good life because of it, in part. The, this sort of awakening that it, it gave me. Uh, it, it forced me to take responsibility for my actions and ownership. And uh, I'm pretty fucking good with where I am because of that. But my employer may really not like the idea of Satanists. Probably out of ignorance, for, for whatever reason, may not like it. Does that justify them firing me? Now, I'm not doing anything illegal in this case, but let's say that, uh, you know, what's, what, what's a law around here that I could break? Um, let's say I kicked my dog. This sucks because I actually fucking miss my dog a lot. Um, but let's say in this case I kicked my dog. It is illegal to abuse your dogs, your animals in, in Utah, 
and if he fired me, would that be justified? Because I did something that he didn't appreciate and was illegal, that I would be punished for legally, I would have paid for that, either through fine or jail time, or both, actually, in Utah, um, justifiably. But once you pay your debt to society for whatever actions that you may uh, illegally make, it's fucking paid. Hands down, it's paid. So as long as you do not continue that behavior, how does that affect your professional life in any way? You're not on the field doing it. You've already paid for it, or you're in litigation to pay for it. So I, I just don't understand this at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. And here's one thing. I don't even fucking like sports. I love playing sports. I don't like watching sports. It's, I think it's a little, <laughs> a little retarded in my opinion. Watching other people do physical activity for your benefit. Why don't you just get off your fucking ass, lazy bitch? <laughs> Other than that, I have no opinion on the subject. But I, I take great pride in separating my personal life from my professional life. Um, before I was 21, I drank a lot. And if I got fired for that, because I, I didn't drink if I had to work, but I drank off the clock with my buddies. We partied a fucking lot. And if I would have gotten fired for that, even though it didn't affect my work, I would have had a real problem with that. And everyone should. I smoked cigarettes before I was legally allowed to smoke cigarettes as a kid. And I was working at talk. Oh, hold on. I got to think about this. It was uh, um, Pizza Hut is where I was. I worked at Pizza Hut. <laughs> oh, shitty job. But if they would have fired me for smoking... Knowing I was underage smoking, uh, I would have been infuriated. Like, it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't affect the job that I'm paid to do. Now, I may be a horrible person because of it. In that case, I don't really think so. I, I quit smoking later, but it doesn't make you a horrible person because you smoke or drink underage. It just means you're irresponsible. Um, but if it doesn't affect your professional life, why does it matter? And are, do you, is your personal life and your professional life so tied together that you can't see that separation? Do you live your professional life? And there are some people who do. I prefer to keep them separate. When I'm at work, I am Adam A. And when I'm home, I am Adam B. The real Adam. And that's how it's always been for me. I don't want my professional uh, co-workers to know the ins and outs of what makes me tick. It's not their fucking business. I take great pride in who and what I am. It is a privilege for me to share that with you. You should be honored. I'm not just going to throw that out to anyone because the herd doesn't deserve it, whether they're my employer or not. They don't deserve to know who and what I am. I give them what they need. That's a professional who does their job the best possible way that they can and strives to improve themselves in every way possible while on the job. And when I'm off the job, I don't think about work. I think about my family. I think about this podcast. I think about my hobbies. And that's it. Separate. Completely separate. These athletes' personal lives are not their professional lives. Their businesses are not a reflection of their professional lives. It's an insane assumption to make. It's an insane assertion to make. It is not the case. 
It drives me nuts. Well, they should have fired them because they were uh, sentenced to or fined X. What does it fucking matter? They've paid their debt to society for doing the shit behavior. Either they'll learn from the mistake or they won't. But as long as they continue doing the job that they're paid for, continue allowing them to. This whole slap on the wrist or pat on the butt bullshit of, of employers uh, punishing their employees even in addition to the state doing so, so that viewers will feel better about the organization, is crazy pathetic. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm still sick. Alright, I'm not really going to go into that <coughs> anymore. We're going to be running late anyway, and I'm, uh, I'm really going a lot longer than I wanted to. Um... The next one here, TechSonia.com, net neutrality steps forward after Wheeler's proposal. I did a show on net neutrality before, um, so let me let me give you a little uh, rundown of this article, and we'll talk briefly about it, and then we'll get to PsychoCharger, uh, which is fucking awesome. Uh, net neutrality, the principle that every internet service provider should allow everyone to access any content and applications in the same way. It was more taken into consideration after the proposal of the chairman of the FCC, Wheeler, who wants to create a more standard, flexible, and individualized to ensure the openness of the web. That doesn't make sense. After the proposal of the chairman of the FCC, Wheeler, who wants to create a more standard, flexible, and individualized to ensure the openness of... Flexible and individualized experience? opportunity to ensure the open this is fucking shit writing net neutrality the principle that every internet they literally oh my gosh they copied the same paragraph twice okay listeners Texonia is a shit publication uh, wow uh, he supports the principle of a standardized this is nothing I chose that this is my fault because I didn't read it I just wanted to talk about net neutrality, and so I saw this article and thought I should read it. Um, it's a, it's a zero-sum article. Okay, so net neutrality is uh, in the face of corporations who may want to slow down some websites uh, to incentivize others of their choosing, um, people that they're in professional bed with versus their competition, um, or allowing everyone equal access to the internet. And here's the amazing thing about the internet. It is given a open ground. It is, is provided the, in essence, the American dream. The possibility of being whatever and whoever and doing whatever you want uh, in life. Even in countries where it is uh, impossible to do that in your real life, on the internet, you absolutely can. Um, However, the internet relies on servers. Those servers are owned by corporations who lease uh, the use to other corporations who provide access to end consumers. Tubes. You know, tubes. <laughs> the internet is a series of tubes, as a famous retarded senator once said. Um, but those who give us access to the internet, there's only a handful of them. You have a few small players regionally, but by and large, a, a number of uh, large corporations uh, really run the show here. And uh, as with the Comcast Netflix deal, Comcast demanded, because of the bandwidth that Netflix uses, because of its popularity and everyone using them, um, 
that they have to pay a higher fee to provide unrestricted access. Even though the consumer is already paying for a set bandwidth, they're charging the company providing the content more in order not to slow them down. And so far, Comcast has gotten away with it. Netflix has paid that so that their um, their audience can enjoy the content without Comcast, this corporate behemoth, slowing it down. And yeah, it's Comcast doing it. Uh, it's insane. And so um, the idea of net neutrality is to stop that from happening and giving open access. But when we, what's funny is that th this is a service. And any service means that there has to be an infrastructure and there has to be businesses and there have to be people monitoring it. So salaries need to be paid. So there is resources that are required to make this um, operate properly, uh, efficiently, continuously. Um, and that usually means that corporations have a heavier weight of say. And that's, that's just the reality of it. So corporations have brought the internet to virtually, not entirely, but virtually the entire world. Should they have a say in what content is on it if they're controlling um, or providing some of it? So obviously, because we've enjoyed the benefit of of uh, the open internet to date, we would say, no, of course not. That's insane. Why should, why should this corporation have a say in what I look at or what I do? But it's very much like TV, unfortunately, where they provide a set of channels and you get those channels and you don't get anything else. And depending on the, the television provider you have, satellite, cable, whatever, you get certain offerings. I don't see that far away, unfortunately, from the internet. They're still providing you access to that content. And honestly, they're losing a lot of money because of the internet. So why wouldn't they want to try to lock it down a little bit more? And yes, it means that there's this you know idea of free speech being stifled, which you can still speak as an American, so I don't really see that as a legitimate complaint. And although I do myself want it to remain open as it is and not slow down sites that they may not approve of, i.e. churchofsatan.com, um, the reality is, is that you pay for the service from another company, the access to the internet from another company. And if you don't like it, go with another provider that doesn't restrict you that much and if you don't have that opportunity there's a number of cellular providers that will offer access to the internet and I, point being and satellite providers so point being there's a lot of different ways that you can get access to this if indeed net neutrality does not end up working so the benefits of net neutrality obviously is that everyone has an equal opportunity of voice and access uh, the realities are far much more painful as they often are um, however, Google has stepped up in opposition to, um, you know, slowing down the internet and certain websites. Uh, they're in favor of net neutrality, and they are a huge voice in the internet. Um, a number of corporations have taken up the arms as well. So it looks like uh, the future of net neutrality seems positive. Uh, but I, I grew up in a era where you. Uh, saw a lot of uh, sort of dystopian sci-fi movies where corporations had complete control over things and 
seeing that how they have already seized control of our government, the uh, United States government, it is not crazy to think that they could seize control of the internet as well and really put us at the um, uh, mercy of them. And it, it really just comes down to one simple thing. If we get money out of politics, we take away the authority that big business has control over our legislation. Meaning, we get money out of politics, we actually have our voices back, and they can't pass legislation restricting internet access or content access or slowing it down. It is our choice, and there are many groups right now uh, trying to get an amendment to the Constitution about getting money out of politics. And if it is something that you care about, I highly recommend you get involved. Every generation of human beings in America has passed an amendment to the United States of America. It is our turn, and if you are concerned about money in politics, if you are concerned about the state of our government, if you are concerned about having a voice, there is something you can do about it, and it directly is reflected in net neutrality. So it should hit you, because everyone's connected to the internet in some way or another. You have to literally live off the grid not to be connected by it. So uh, just uh, food for thought, people. Think about it. Um, I did want to briefly say before we jump into uh, the creature feature, that opening intro, that was, uh, that was an awesome clip. Thank you very much for uh, submitting that. I truly do appreciate it. You guys should go to www.grotesquery.com. That's G-R-O-T-E-S-Q-U-E-R. I.e. grotesquery.com and check out more of what is on this wonderful website. It is to your benefit, and uh, this is a talented man. I truly appreciate him submitting that to me. Grotesquery.com. All right, let's do a little psychocharger and close this thing out. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the creature feeds <laughs> Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by the one and only Jimmy Psycho of Psycho Charger. New album, Spawn of the Psycho, is coming out very soon. And that I believe the release date is October 7th, right? It is. October 7th. It's on the streets. Jimmy, it is so good for you to join me. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. You know, of all the people you could be talking to, you uh, decided to, to give me a shout. So I'm, I'm very, very honored. I'm a fan, so it's it's both ways, my man. I really, really dig talking to you. And I should mention before we dive into this, um, I think last time we spoke, we spoke about one of your other projects, um, the Jimmy Psycho Experiment, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was right around the time that uh, the, the Mad Monster Cocktail Party, uh, the Horror Lounge yes. music CD was, was getting ready to be released. And so, uh, yeah, that was the last time we talked. It was very, very cool. But since then, you've actually come out with another project, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you uh, tell good people briefly about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the Black Goat Uprising, what, what that is, that was actually a – I got tapped to do a, a soundtrack for a horror film, and it was a film that never really went anywhere. But I kind of just had all the, this, this music bed stuff that I was kind of putting together over the course of like a year, and – uh so I was like, well, shit, man, I got to do something with this. And then I played for the old drummer of, of Psycho Charger. He's like, you know, just drop some samples in there, you know, just put it out there. So 
so really that that's how the whole thing kind of starts like kind of like tweaked the songs a little bit extended them out a little bit and uh added some little more atm- atmosphere to it and it's all like very ambient dark heavy droney kind of stuff there's no verses no choruses no lyrics it's just all a wall of sound very cool that type of stuff is perfect for either the Halloween coming right up or your ritual chamber or whatever you want to do. Maybe just some ambient music in the background. Um, good stuff. I mean, you're, you're, you're so busy. You even, I mean, you have a new addition, right? To the family. We do. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a, uh, the, that's why we're slowly outgrowing the space that we live in. We have a 15 month old now. That's amazing, and that, everything's happy and healthy. Yep, everything's good. Going, going. Uh, yeah, he's a little bruiser. <laughs> Beautiful. Glad to hear it. That's awesome. And and yet you still have time to come out with Spawn of the Psycho. So, can you? When was your last album? You know, the last album was Mark of the Psycho, and that came out. I'm I'm thinking it was 2010. You might have to Whoa. look it up, but it's it's been a good four years since the last record came out. So when it comes to I, I, I don't know. Maybe you tell me. When you put out a kick-ass record, is there a lot of pressure to get another one out as soon as possible? Well, you know, yes and no. You know, the, the thing is, it's like this, with Marcus Psycho Camp, we're just so busy, like, touring and playing out that we were kind of felt like we were staying busy that way. But, you know, mm-hmm. after the move to L.A., it was, you know, there's a little downtime. That's kind of where I started doing, like, the Jimmy Psycho experiment. And I... You know, I I didn't really feel too much pressure because I knew I didn't want to make like the same sounding record this time around. So I I kind of like had the mindset it's two separate projects almost. So with with Spawn the Psycho, I kind of like really tried out with new ideas and new concepts and, and everything like that. So um, yeah, I didn't really feel too much pressure putting this one out. Um. What what is the normal cycle that you you feel comfortable going through? I mean, how long do you do you tour a record after you've produced it? Like, uh, how are you planning on touring with this one, uh, playing shows? Yeah, yeah, we, we we're, we're slowly but surely you know putting the shows together, you know, and uh, to, to go out and, and you know do a little support for it. But like I said, you know, I'm I'm just really busy with like studio stuff right now, mm-hmm. so we're. Like last week when we flew out to Indianapolis and played a great show at, at the Whorehound Weekender, which is a lot of fun. So we'll, we'll probably be doing more like like high profile, not so much club touring, but like how to say, not really high profile, but high impact. You know, where we're, we're going to fly into some place where we know there's going to be like a big group of people and, and yeah. hit it and then come back to L.A., work on the next thing and then go back out. Probably more like that. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay, so for, for those who don't know, and I'm yeah. – I don't think anyone who listens to this show wouldn't, but can you give a brief rundown of what Psycho Charger is? Um, because we talked a little bit about your other projects, and I want to make sure everyone is on the page. And, and actually, in a little bit here, um, maybe even after we describe this, we're going to play a single from the new album, Spawn of the Psycho by Psycho Charger, um, before its October 7 release. So uh, can you can you give us a little uh, rundown of, of your your vision of what Psycho Charger is? Yeah, Psycho Charger was just a thing I started, uh, wow, a long time ago. And <laughs> it was just one of the things, you know, it was just a thing I've, I started doing, just started making like recording stuff at home. And, you know, it's nothing I ever had any expectations on whatsoever. I just said, you know, I'm just going to do this just for sake of doing it. And then, you know, it just kind of, kind of just started, uh, you know, 
picking up some steam here and there, and people were like really starting to listen to it. And then the demand actually came around for for you know Psychotrack to play shows. And the irony of it was, I booked all these shows, but I didn't even have a band to to play it with because it was still at that point it was just me. So I was really kind of scrambling around to to get a lineup together, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I kind of dug myself in a hole with that one. And so the, <laughs> the first couple of years was a very much a revolving door, you know, of uh, whoever. Actually, you know, I'd, I'd go book a show and I'd go there to play. I wouldn't even know who would be showing up for sure or not. A lot of times it was just Damn. myself and uh, a guy running the backing tracks and the samples. So, um, But once once it, it got relocated in New York City, that's where the lineup really solidified for that whole duration, like that whole like 13 years I was in New York City. And that's really where we started, you know, playing and, and recording and, and you know doing a lot more shows, doing a lot more regional and going up into Canada. We played London. So that that's really where it started to pick up for us. And uh, the whole thing was just really just like this really heavy, dark band, kind of influenced by the cramps, kind of influenced like a lot by horror. But we knew we didn't want to be like like really like straight rockabilly or surf. We always had like a bunch of other elements that we always wanted to try to, to throw in there. It's kind of like the the, the kitchen sink of uh, music for us, I guess I should say. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I dig it because it's, it's like you just said, a, a little bit of horror, you get a little bit of punk, you get you get a, a dash of rockabilly, but it's just solid rock at its core. And it, it's just, it's really fun for those of us who are really kind of into that sort of horror punk sound um, because it, it does really feel along those lines. So w- when you're producing new albums, do you... Um, do you try to go with a, a theme because you're not pigeonholed into one genre um, so much? Do you try to mix it up intentionally, or do you just kind of do what feels right at that time? Yeah, you know, and that's exactly it. That that's the one thing I like about about the, this band is that it 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 is what it is. You know, we we never really ever had the vision of like trying to record like the same sounding music time and time again. Like we we just we go to these shows and we just after a while all these bands just kind of start sounding the same and we're like you know we don't want to have a song that has this a b and c in it for every song that we play we really want to be able to to switch it up and feel comfortable switching it up you know it, it was kind of like uh, the great band the clash you know those guys played a lot yeah. of different styles of music but you always knew it was the clash playing it you know and that's kind of like how we wanted to do it you know like you know whatever song t- kind of song whatever kind of music we're playing we always want the at the core of it be like a psychocharger song if that makes Hell sense yeah yeah, no, absolutely. Um, now, I follow you on social networking. Um, on Facebook, uh, the listeners, you can actually follow Psycho-Charger, and you'll get a, a bunch of information on uh, new shows that are coming out, new albums, uh, just single tracks. And you actually have released a couple solo tracks here. Uh, well, maybe not solo, but just single tracks. Um, one that really grabs my fancy is this Death Star Baby. Uh, being a Star Wars geek myself here. Oh, right on. Very cool. But there's nothing better than super sexy women in sort of cartoon or sci-fi well, <laughs> garb. That's, that's the beauty of uh, working with the Devil's Playground. You know, you're, you're surrounded by that 24-7. Yeah. So a lot of inspiration as far as that goes. That's great. Well, let's let's hear this track, and then let's talk a little bit about uh, the new album and... Uh, art choices, format choices and such, and uh, yeah, yeah, enjoy, listeners, this really kicks ass.
on the streets and on the TV saying what I want saying what I need didn't hear a word not part of that hurt get out my face and stop wasting my time won't be standing in your lines go And that was Go Die by Psycho Charger. And we're talking with Jimmy Psycho himself. Uh, Kick-ass 
track. So whenever you're listening, uh, I'm sorry, whenever you're reading about Spawn of the Psycho uh, album, you know, there's this grind core sort of theme throughout it. So, so where does that come from? Yeah. You know, like I said, you know, uh, lately I've been doing like a, you know, working with, uh, being a lot of filmmakers and, you know, just like coming out to LA from New York just really brought about a whole new like set of influences for me for, for this record. So I really kind of looked at this record as like also being like, you know, if there was like this ultimate grindhouse movie out there, what would the soundtrack yeah. be? And and this is really that's really the mindset that I had going into recording this this record. Well, it's it's great. I mean, the the, the album visuals itself really <laughs> lends to that. Yeah, it, being yeah, a, the visuals are so disturbing, or so, so whatever that that iTunes made us change the uh, artwork for the, uh, the I, downloads. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the album right now, and it's. Bad album cover, the censored one. Oh yeah, so, so cool! It's the silhouette uh, of black with this splash of uh, blood behind it, and it says "censored," sort of spray painted right across the front. It's really, really great. Um, but it pales in comparison to the actual album cover. So, it, were your past albums available as vinyl? No, this is the first vinyl full length uh, that we did. It was kind of like on the. Uh, you know, as you say, you know, you you never know when the end is coming. So we always approach every record like it's our last, and we're like going, okay, well, if we're gonna do a vinyl record. This is gonna be the one that's gonna be going on vinyl. So, uh, yeah, that's how we chose to like release it on vinyl. Where's that imagery come from? What's the inspiration? Oh, for for the the, the for the cover, cover, the sleeve. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it was just one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, timing is everything. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in this case, for you know, sure. Courtney was seven months pregnant, and uh, you know, the at that point, I knew the album was going to be called "Spawn the Psycho," and you know, uh, it was just one of those things. You know, she, she was getting some pregnancy photos taken, and we kind of goofed around, talked about, you know, we were going to have you cover you in blood and have you pose nude, and and sure enough, at zero hour came, we 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 filled up, we pulled a kiddie pool into the living room, and uh, <laughs> broke out a gallon of fake blood, and she proceeded to apply it to herself and uh that that's where the cover came from it's incredible like and it, and she it, had no hesitation nope no like i said she's uh my, my greatest collaborator co-conspirator so it's uh that is a keeper man that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> right thank you man appreciate it um really really fucking cool so when you pull out the record uh, there's a little bit different tone in artwork. So, I mean, where's that come from? The little, the little center art. Oh, that was uh, that that was our longstanding. Uh, we we kind of, you know we're a fiercely independent band, and so our record label is called Rotten Roll Army, and so kind of like a, a spoof of the the Kiss Army thing. We call it the Rotten Roll Army, and that that uh, skull guy on like the, the pentagram thing. That's always just kind of like been the the record label logo. And we said, you know, that would look great as a, as a center art for the, uh, for the LP. Yeah. I love how the blood is like centrifugal force pushing it out to the edges. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And actually, actually, that's actually it. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the vinyl actually comes in three options. It's the, the blood splatter, and then it's the blood red vinyl, which is completely red. And then there's the uh, the random, the super limited random vinyl. So, uh, yeah, those are three yeah. options there. So, yeah, it, I don't even know if we're going to put this out on CD. There'll probably be a very small run of CD because there will be 
you know, folks out there that, that will need, need to get it on CD, but you know, vinyl is where we're putting it at. You know, we really wanted to make something special, something that people would just want to be able to, to hang on to in this very disposable, you know, uh, civilization that we live in now. We, don't make, yeah. we want to make something a little more permanent for people to really hang on to. That's why we chose with the vinyl. Was there ever any concern about releasing it in a physical form at all with everything moving so digital, so I mean, everywhere, you know? Yeah, I mean, that that's what we really deliberate. It's like, you know, do we just put this straight to digital download? And we're like, yeah, well, no, we, you know, we want to really make, like I said, we really want to, we knew it was a special record. So we're like, let's just put on vinyl, you know, get a little extra TLC with, with the vinyl uh, presentation. And that's really where we came from with it. But yeah, as we've kind of like gone through the years here, you know, every year more and more sales are going the digital way for us. So, mm-hmm. you know, which is good so and you, bad. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you order the the vinyl, and we'll let people know where you can get this uh, shortly here. Um, is there a is there a way to get the digital as well? Oh yeah, every uh, vinyl purchase comes with a uh, its own specific you know individual code to download all eleven tracks. Uh, as a mp3 so yeah you buy the vinyl you also get the digital download and i'm gonna tell you you want to buy this thing for the artwork alone if even if you don't own a turntable you want it for the artwork alone seriously no <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm absolutely 100 behind that um i mean I, I i like collecting vinyls just because there it, it, it is so physical and it transports you to a different time when you actually enjoyed music and the contents the music came in you don't really get that nowadays and so it is nice that you would offer it in that way especially be, I, mean, I don't know you tell me and certainly you'll find out after this release on whether or not it really pays off in the end to go that extra mile if people are gonna buy into it or if they just really just want it for the music and to you know take it and go so yeah, I'll definitely follow up with you on that for sure. We're we're kind of waiting yeah. to see ourselves, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, okay. Let Let's tell the good listeners where they can pick up uh, their own copy of Spawn of the Psycho. Oh yeah, if you just go to, it's really easy. Just you just go to psychocharger.com. There's a total like just follow the link. There's a big. You'll see the big the big bloody cover itself right there. Just click on that, and it'll take you right to the purchase links. Oh yeah. We'll definitely check it out, especially if you get a free copy of the digital by buying the vinyl. There's literally no reason not to buy the vinyl. That's like, zero right. <laughs> reason. Uh, definitely check it out. If you're uh, if you're into just digital, you're missing out, but you can get that option as well. And again, the release date is October 7 for Spawn of the Psycho, the new album from Psycho Charger. I'm talking to Jimmy Psycho. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me. It is always so great to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. Thanks for having me back on. And uh, you know, when we get out there to uh, Utah. I definitely look out. Uh, look out. Uh, we'll look forward to, to hanging out with you and meeting up sometime. Fuck yeah! All right. Well, until we can chat again, my man. Hell, Satan. Hail. All right, and that's gonna do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I apologize for being late, but uh, life got in the way, people. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, 
YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to Nine Cents via iTunes by searching iSense, Nine Cents, and don't forget to leave your rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, and why the fuck wouldn't you, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember, the only way that we're going to continue doing this podcast is if you continue to share it. Share Nine Cents with your friends, your enemies, your co-workers, your NFL football players, your abusers, everyone! <laughs> Excuse me, let's build this podcast together, people. And once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm a host. I'm a host. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, I said a hail. A hail, Satan!